I am Wade Bryant, and I am the pastor over high school and emerging generations. And so I'm going to be bringing the word today. I just want to invite anybody who is a high schooler to come find me afterwards. I'd love to meet you if I haven't met you yet. And if you are a college student or a single in here today, I'd love to just um, connect you with some of our great leaders that lead our emerging generations every single week because there's a place for you. And I know sometimes it feels like there's not in church, but um, we are a church that, that wants to minister to you and, and really connect with you. So come and find me afterwards um, and give it up for my, my lovely assistants here. Appreciate you guys. Um, didn't break anything. Yeah. Um, we tried to get Vanna. She was busy, but... Uh, Anyway, so I, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about something that is, is kind of, you know, maybe it's a little deep, like kind of deep or hard to talk about, um, but it, we're, we're going to start with this. We're going to talk about trial and tragedy, okay, which is just like I know that's why you came today and you're excited about that, but God has this really cool plan for trial and tragedy. We're going to kind of delve into that because that gives way to this training and transformation that happens in our life. And then that gives away to a triumph and testimony that, that we also have, okay? So God has this really cool plan, but because it is kind of heavy, I wanted to start off a little bit light. Um, if you are on the Twitters or the Instagrams, um, you know of this thing called a hashtag, okay? It, for you old people, it's the pound sign, okay, on your phone, don't try to don't try to do that on your if you still have one of those in your house. Like don't try to do a hashtag. It'll give you something that you don't want. But there's this hashtag out there. It's called the struggle is real. Okay. And in this moment that you know when you're trying to describe something that, that's really hard and you're like, guys, like you would not understand. The struggle is real. All right. So use it if you haven't. But I'm going to give you some examples. Let's start off with these. Some of you guys have a hard time waking up in the morning. I would assume most of you, um, if you didn't serve in the first gathering, that you have a really hard time waking up because it's like almost 11, guys. And, and so, like, the, this might have been you this morning. When you wake up early in the morning and sit on your bed like, <laughs> yeah. So some, somebody elbowed their, their husband or wife. Um, the struggle is real in that moment, right? How about, how about this? This, is, this wasn't really connected with the students or in school or you college students. That moment when even Google can't help you with your homework, right? The struggle is real in that moment. Like if Google does, does not know. Um, recently, I, I tried to lose some weight and uh, I was, you know, like, Apparently, you can't eat Taco Bell and stuff like when you're trying to lose weight. It's just devastating to hear that news. But so I, I, uh, I started, I, I have a pug named Otis. And so uh, this is a, one that really connected with me. It says, when you're so hungry, your pets begin to look like carbs. <laughs> right? You're like, man, you're looking tasty. Some butter. Um, so that, that's a struggle is real moment. How about this one? Um, this is another dog. Yeah, I'm into fitness. Fitness, whole pizza in my mouth. And so, uh, so that's, yeah, it's my kind of fitness. Um, and then for, for, the, for the hunters in here, you, you're going to connect with this. I see a few of you guys that I know that hunt. Um, kind of along the same line, I'm dedicating myself to fitness this fall. Fitness, whole deer in my freezer, all right? And I, I've discovered something, you know, I thought that the struggle was real, 
like just, you know, being a college student, eating ramen noodles and pizza pockets like every day, um, you know, trying to, trying to just skimp by. And, and then this happened, parenthood. And parenthood brings a whole nother level of the struggle is real. Would you agree? Can I get an amen for that? Like the struggle is real in pa- parenthood. Um, a lot of people see like this picture and you're like, oh, cool. He's playing with Legos. It's awesome. You know, parents see this picture and like my kid put out a minefield for me to walk through because it's the middle of the night. I'm going to check on you. And what do I find under my feet? But Legos that are like sharp. And it's like, you know, Forrest Gump moment it just jumped up and bit me. You know, like you're like, what just happened? Why did you lay that out for me? Um, and then in the mornings, you're, you're trying to do so much. You have like nine trillion things to do. You're trying to, to pack lunches. You're trying to get breakfast ready. You're trying to get that sweet nectar from the God's coffee into your system so that you can relate to people on some level, you know? And your kid is sitting there at the table. I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And then eventually they look like this. Your kid's waiting on breakfast. The struggle is real. That's my son, by the way, Zion. And that's usually, if I, don't res- if I don't get breakfast out quick enough, that's what he looks like every morning, which is just heartbreaking. And then my favorite, the struggle is real moment as a parent is on the days where you need to be somewhere and you're like, we got to go, we got to move quickly, let's go. Your kid decides that that's the day that he wants to sleep, Right? And then on Saturday, when it's supposed to be the day that you sleep in, what happens? This, right? You're like, dad, 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 it's time to wake up. It's time to watch cartoons. There's cartoons to watch. What are you doing? And so the struggle is real in that moment when you just want sleep and your kid is already awake. So the struggle is real in a lot of different ways. And, and I'll say this, man, we make light of it. But for some of you, if you could use that hashtag in real life, the struggle would be real right now. A lot of you guys are walking through something that is a tragedy, that is a trial. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you have financial hardship. Maybe you are going through a divorce or a breakup. Maybe you've con- just really just experienced a loss of a, of a parent, even a child. The struggle is real in our lives sometimes, right? And here's the deal. We all struggle. We all struggle. We all do it. Jesus knew this. He, he told us in John chapter 16 that you will face many trials. You will have trials in your life, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the world, you will have trials, but I've overcome the world. And this book that is supposed to be scattered and you think that it's about love and joy and peace and it is all those things, you read this Bible and then you start really digging into it and you start seeing these really tough stories of the people of God suffering. You see God wiping out an entire the entire world except for one family through the flood. You see... People born lame or blind. You see people stuck in poverty or slavery and you're like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be the Bible of hope and joy and love. What is all of this doing in here? Why do we have this? There's a whole book over people just lamenting to God. And so why? 
Why is all of this in the Holy Scriptures that's supposed to be about joy? Let's dive in to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at the first five verses. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to read it to you. Some of it's going to be on the screen, not all of it. So um, let's, let's read this aloud. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And if we stop there, you'd be like, man, I agree with all of that. Faith and hope and love and joy. Like, I can stand with that. Like, that's, a, that's the Bible that I like. But then it goes on. Verse 3, it says, not only so, we also glory in our sufferings. And you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I got the hope and the love and the peace and stuff. Why do we have to glory in our sufferings? Why do we have to have suffering? Why do we have to go there, God? But he has a plan. He says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, the Holy Spirit who has given us, or who was given to us. And see, God has a plan for our suffering, and we're going to delve into that today. They call this, my seminary professors called this, the golden chain in Scripture, in Romans chapter 5. So this is golden chain, it's a cycle that God constantly puts us through, that you have suffering, and that suffering gives way to perseverance. Some of your translations might say endurance, and then that perseverance leads us to building character, and that character gives us hope. And so God puts us down the cycle, and, and some of you know this, like you, you are a person, we, I think we all are people that we don't really learn our lesson if everything is rainbows and butterflies, right? You're like, oh, well, that was pleasant. I'll just go ahead and continue on sinning, right? We don't, we don't learn our lesson. So God allows suffering to kind of come into our lives and gives us trials and gives us things that are hard so that he can produce this perseverance and this character. Charlie Gimble said it like this, in the middle of a struggle, you discover what is in the middle of you. Isn't that true? In the middle of a struggle, you discover what's in the middle of you. And I'll tell you, most of the time for me, whenever I'm, in, when I'm stressed, whenever hard things are going on, oftentimes the byproduct of that in my life is yucky. It's not cool. It's It's sin. And so I discover what's in the middle of me. And then, and then I, I realize that God's shaping my character through that trial, that suffering. You've probably heard this. If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it, right? It's been on bumper stickers and plaques and different things like that. It actually comes from the Bible. So it's not, you know, this like just Christian saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 talks about how our sufferings, our trials our temptations, that we will not be tempted beyond our means. God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our means. And you're like, well, I've dealt with some pretty crazy stuff, so God must think a lot of me, right? But he won't tempt you beyond your means. And he knows, and, and, and even in that temptation, that verse says that he will provide 
a way out of it. God provides a way out of it. And another great philosopher and speaker and teacher that's been around for the last 30 years once posted this on Twitter. God is at his best. Hey, don't laugh. God is at his best when we are a mess. God is at his best when we are a mess, right? Follow me on Twitter. He is. In our suffering and the things that are hard, the trials of our life, God is at his best. And he shows up in these huge and mighty ways. And so as believers, we have to reprogram our brain that during hard times, during trials, during suffering, we have to have a new perspective because God is using it. James chapter 1, we just talked about how we're supposed to glory in our sufferings. James chapter 1 says that we should consider it pure joy. What? We should consider it pure joy. I don't know about you, but that's not my first response when I'm going through a hard time, right? But he says that whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. God has this different plan, this different perspective of our suffering and our trials. In the end, trial is God's file. And tragedy bring God's clarity. The trial is often the time where God is shaping us and molding us and breaking us down to more and look more and more like him. And in the tragedy, he's bringing clarity. He said, you know what? You're, you're kind of going off on your own path. You're being your own God. You're making your own idols. But I want you to go this way. So here's your clarity moment. Learn. Follow me. It's the narrow path that leaves you, leads you to abundant life. It's what God does with our tragedy. And so it's hard to be in that. And, I, and so I, I want to, to not just give you these, you know, like I don't have like a seven-step program or anything like that for you to, to reprogram your brain during a tragedy or a trial. But I will say that you need, you need God's holy scripture to be hidden in your heart so that in the midst of that, You can point to the truth of Scripture and gain this new perspective. And so I want you to to, to really, in those moments, say four truths. To say four truths in the midst of a trial. So we're going to talk about those right now because we have to look for Scriptures. And then we're going to talk about the actual human part of that and the four steps to take. First of all, the four truths to say. The first one is this. Psalm 34, 18 through 19 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them all. We have to remember it because in a trial or a tragedy or hard time, we often think we're alone, right? Or we try to tell our friend or we try to tell our spouse. and, And it's like, they do the, I'll pray for you. And then they go on with their normal life. And you're like, do you not see me struggling here? Like, are you really praying for me? Because I don't feel like you are because I'm still in the trial. And we start, we start becoming more and more lonely. And, and, and worse, we think that God put us there and then he just leaves us. He walks off. It's like, good luck with that, Wade. No, 
God promises that he is close to us. That he is near to the brokenhearted. That he is close to those who are crushed in spirit. We're not alone. So we need to remember that truth. The second truth is this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. And, and to give you kind of, kind of some context, the, the artist formerly known as Saul, all right, is, is in this and he's writing to the, to the church in Corinth and, and he's talking about, you know what, I was the guy that was persecuting Christians, that was, that was murdering your people and God did a great work in me. And whenever he did a great work in me, you know, I, I suffered. And he, he goes through this, and, and starting in chapter 11, he goes through this, man, I've been shipwrecked like four or five times. I, I've been flogged, I've been stoned, I've been beaten to death and left to just die there. I've been in prison more than I can know. And at the end of this, him unloading all of these things that happened to him, he says this, but God said to me, that my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. So I can rejoice in my suffering. I can rejoice in my weakness because when I am weak, God is strong. And he shows up in huge ways. The third truth is this, and I just want to let y'all know there is a typo. It's not 14, it's four. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So make sure you write that down. Because the other doesn't exist, and you'll be like, what in the world? Okay. Um, if you're going to write that down anyways, just write down second hesitations, three, four, and you'll be good. <laughs> Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are giving way to an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not what is, on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since we, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And guys, this is hard. Because when you're in the middle of a struggle and a trial, the last thing you're thinking in the back of your mind is like, eh, this will pass, you know? It's just light and momentary. Just go on with my life. It's given way to an eternal weight of glory. And even though it's hard... It's what we need to do. We need to be reminded that, that our lives, even though we'll have troubles, that God is, is renewing us on the inside and it's giving way to this eternity that's going to be so beautiful. Without sin and sickness and darkness, God is going to remove it all. And we're going to rest in that eternity. And the last truth is this. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16 says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. For we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And out of all of the truths that I just shared with you, this is the one for me personally, that brings me the most comfort. That God has not tempted me with something that he first wasn't tempted with. 
He is not sitting up there as a god on an anthill with a magnifying glass saying, look at those puppies run. He's not up there as a puppet master being like, what, what trouble can we get weighed into right now? No, he humbled himself, became a man, and died on the cross for my sin. And so when I'm struggling, he is able to empathize with me and say, I've been there. You're going to come out of it. It's breaking way to this eternal weight of glory. So you can approach my throne of grace with confidence. And so those are the four truths that we need to say. The four steps that we need to take begin with this, that it's okay to be blank. Okay? Not okay to be blank. Like, don't just be like, oh my gosh, I'm going through a struggle. No, that's not what I mean. It's okay to fill in the to blank, okay? Like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be lonely. It's okay to be upset. We serve a God who is a God that displays emotions. Would you agree? That there's times where where God shows his emotion and he's angry or he is broken or he cries or he weeps and he does all of these things. We serve a God of emotions. He has given us emotions. We are emotional beings. It's okay to live in those emotions. We are often trained as believers, even if you're going through a struggle, hey, you're supposed to be the light of the world. Just suppress it, put on that smile, put on that mask because, you know, I need you to be on point with your joy, right? But that couldn't be further from the truth. God says it's okay for you to be angry. Man, Zion um, is two years old. He's my, uh, my son. And he, this morning, what, just threw a fit. Okay, he threw a fit. He was wearing his minion PJs, which are his favorite PJs, and he never wants to take them off. And so he was just letting me know it. And he was angry. And so what does a two-year-old do? They throw a fit because they can't explain all the ways that you're, you're affecting his psyche by taking his minion PJs off, right? And so he's, man, he's flailing. And, and I just look at him because I've heard my wife say this and she's a lot smarter than me. And I just said, buddy, it's okay for you to be upset right now. It's okay. But you're going to do what daddy says. You're going to take off your minion PJs. Never thought I would use that in a message. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay to be upset. And, it, and God's saying the same thing for us, Right? It's okay for you to be angry and upset. My grace is sufficient for you. But here's the deal. We can't stay there. We can't let it lead to something else. We can't let our anger lead to bitterness. And so number two, the step to take is that we don't even go there. Don't let Satan get a hold of your emotions and twist them to make you sin. Don't let him do that. In, in, in Hebrew, or Romans chapter 12, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There, there, there's this twist that needs to happen to say, Yes, I'm angry, but God, you are good. So I'm not going to be overcome by this. I'm not going to let Satan use it in my life. And so we can't even go there. Number three, ask why. This is another one of those as believers that we said, You can't ask why. 
Like you can't pump your fist to God and say, why me, God, why me? You can't do that. And so, so we've been conditioned to not really ask the important questions because we need to know that God is using this trial and this tragedy to train you and transform you. He has a purpose for it. God does, does nothing just off the cuff and, and just putting it out there. No, he has a purpose for everything. And so we have to ask why, because he has a specific thing in mind to be training us in, to be filing us down in. So we need to ask why. And the last step that you need to take is to let someone in. And I know, know that there are people that came in this room today that are in the middle of a trial or a tragedy. They're hurting. They're suffering. They feel like they're all alone. And I think we have to, as believers, we have to have this human responsibility that says, you know what? I can't just walk into a room and just expect people to know what's going on with me. I have to let them in. I have to kind of open myself up a little bit so that the church can be the church and carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. You have to let somebody in. You have to declare your hardship so people can walk with you. And so trial and tragedy does exist. And why does God allow us to go through it? Because he has a purpose. He is leading us to somewhere. We need to be reminded again that James 1 tells us that that he is going to let perseverance finish its work so that we may be made complete and mature, not lacking in anything. And so it leads us to transformation. If you want to turn to your Bibles or write this reference down, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, I'm, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, but essentially this, this passage is talking about whenever we are going through trials or sufferings or we feel like God is putting us through things, that, that God is doing this thing. It's called discipline. Sometimes, sometimes God disciplines us and he puts us through hardships because he loves us and and. and the writer of Hebrews is saying, like, don't, don't be a surprised by that. Because if any of you have an earthly father, you better believe that your earthly father is going to discipline you so you don't continue to go down a path of destruction. They're, they're, they're disciplining you because they love you and they want, they want to put you down this path. And, and so let me highlight a couple of verses. It says, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been, what? Trained by it. God has this way of of using our trial and our tragedy to train us and transform us more and more into his image so that we may share in his holiness. And I'll tell you, man, I don't, when Brooke texts me at work, he's like, Zion's having a really rough day. He's not obeying me. He, you know, has hit me or he's not sharing his toys. I don't read that text and I'm like, oh, joy, I get to go discipline him. You know, like, let's go. I don't do that. I'm like, no, 
I'm not excited about disciplining my son because I love him. But because I love him, I will not continue to let him hit his mom or not share his toys. Because that is not the way that God designed you. That is not the way that God wants you to go. And so because I love you, I will discipline you and teach you. So you can live a righteous life. So that you can live in integrity and walk with peace. And that's the same thing that God, our Father in heaven, does for us. Is he won't let us continue to go down a path of destruction, but lead us and discipline us because he loves us. So the last thing I want us to do is I want us to ask ourselves four questions. Four questions. The first question is this. And it's to be asked in the middle of the trial or the tragedy or the suffering that you're going through. It's this question. Who is my rock and who is my refuge? We have to remember in times of trouble who your rock is. Lori, a few weeks ago, talked about the pit, right? The pit that she was in and how even in the pit, we have a God that is perfect that can lift us out of it right? You have to remember that God cares for you and his desire for you is to lift you out of that pit. Last week, Caleb talked about this roller coaster of life and how in the high moments, really easy to be on this high, this Jesus high, like, oh, God is good. My life is good. But in the valley, in the bottom, it's really difficult. You start flailing. You start forgetting that God is good, that he is your rock. And, and I posted this last week because Caleb did such a great job and, and he says he didn't say it this good, but I'm going to put it out there anyways. I think he did. This is what I heard. Shifting our focus from God's ability to our own reality only leads us to complete vulnerability. See, he shared the story of how Peter got out of the boat, Right? And he's walking towards Jesus and he's walking on water. This really miraculous thing. But the moment that he shifts his focus from God to the waves and the storm and the things that are really going on, what happens? He sinks. And that's what happens to us. We have to remember in the storm of life, when trials are going on, we have to remember our rock and our refuge and put our faith securely in him. Mike says this all the time. He says, don't doubt in the darkness what God has revealed to you in the light. Isn't that true? We cannot doubt God whenever things start happening and the bottom falls out. Second question is to be asked during the training and the transformation part. And it's this, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? Kind of goes back to that question of ask why. You need to ask the right questions. God, who am I becoming? Who are you making me into? What is offensive in me? Would you shape me? Would you form me? Would you lead me into your holiness? Let me give you an example. If you are a male in here, okay, I speak to you. I'm just going to tell you, you struggle with patience. Okay, we do, all of us. I think most of the people in here, but men... We just struggle with patience. Like it just like things aren't happening fast enough. What are we doing? Come on, let's go. You know, and, and so we do. 
And, and so whenever you struggle with patience, God has this really, really cool way, not cool at the time, but cool way of giving you opportunities to work on your patience, right? Am I right? So when you're, wa- you're driving to work, you're already late, and it seems like God is controlling the lights, right? You know what I'm saying? And every light is red, and you're like, oh, Lord, I know you're testing me. I know you want me to have patience, but, but can you please just turn it green, you know? And he, and he, and he, he finds us these opportunities to, to do this. And, and, and I just moved to Bella Vista. How many Bella Vistians in the, the house? Yeah. Um, I'm planning on retiring in a few years, but, uh, no, I, I live in Bella Vista and, and the Lord is constantly testing my patience in Bella Vista. Okay. On the roads because I'll be driving and I'm kind of late and it starts to sprinkle. And people in Bella Vista, when it sprinkles, they're like, oh gosh, hang on. We're about to go off the road. It's raining. And they, and they, they, they freak out. It's crazy. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Traffic that's going 30 all of a sudden stops to like 10. I'm like, it's sprinkling, you know? It's not going to cause you to hydroplane. But it happens, and God is working on my patience that God gives you opportunities. And so you need to ask the question, God, who am I becoming? Who are you trying to make me into? What is it that you're trying to file down in me? Because God does nothing without purpose. So ask that question. And the third question seems odd, but it's this. Who can I tell? Because oftentimes when we're going through a struggle, when we're going through a hard time, the last thing we want to do is talk about it. Maybe you've experienced abuse in your life, or maybe you're going through a a thing that that is kind of self-inflicted, that you caused. The last thing that you want to do is to talk about it. But you have to ask that question, who can I tell? Because God, as we mentioned before has this plan for our trial and our tragedy because it leads us to training and transformation. And then it gives us triumph and this testimony to share. So you have to ask the question, who can I tell? We can't move past this. And God is a God that that cares about you. He is about your good. But more so than that, he cares about his glory. God has a plan because at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the name that is above every name. So he has a plan for your trial and tragedy and it's to bring glory to him and, and refining to you, transformation to you. And so we can't skip this step. Psalm 107 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of trouble. You have faced trials, and now I want you to tell people about it. Because it's going to bring glory to me, and it's going to show that my grace is sufficient for you, and I am made powerful in your weakness give testimony to what I've done. Exodus chapter 16, to kind of give you some framework, the Israelites have been released from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians by by these plagues that have come on the Egyptians. They 
come through and, and Pharaoh says, I will let your people go. They come out and all of a sudden the Egyptian army is, is kind of chasing them. They're like, wait a minute, you just let us go. Why are you chasing after us? And so they, they pray. God splits the Red Sea. They walk through it on dry land. And then God covers the Egyptian army and kills them and brings them to safety. And he gives them water and refuge. But after that, he leads them in to, I think, quite laughingly sometimes, a desert called the desert of sin. God leads them to this desert called sin, and there they are supposed to wait on the land that he's promised. A few days into this, as they are going without food and water, and they're in this dry and barren desert. They start asking questions. They start groaning. They say, God, I would rather, instead of starving and dying to death, I would rather go back to Egypt, because at least in Egypt, when we were slaves, we had food to eat. And so you see this trial happening in their lives, and God is using it to train them and transform them. And this is what God does. He says, I hear your grumbling. I hear your complaining. And I want to give you manna that I'm going to rain down from heaven. I'm going to provide for you because I've heard you. And during that, God was training them to know that they don't have to complain, that God hears them and will provide for them. And at the end of that chapter, the Lord commanded Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. And if you've been wondering what this Winnie the Pooh jar has been doing up here, this is something that sits on Brooke and I's mantle each and every day. It's called a manna jar. And we took it straight out of this verse, and, and we, our plan is to, to pass it down to our kids and then to pass it down to their kids. And, and what's in here are just slips of paper. And they're slips of paper that we have written things on that, of, of how God has shown up in our lives and how he has provided for us, that we were going through a trial and God showed up and provided money for us or provided a person to speak truth into us. And we place it in there. My hope and my prayer is that I can give testimony to what God has done and that my great-grandkids, my great-great-grandkids, when they're going through a tough time, that they can look at this jar that is hopefully filled up to the brim. Hopefully we have several jars by then. And they can say, you know what? I know I'm in a trial, but God is a God who provides and I can trust him. We cannot miss this part. We can't miss the triumph and the testimony that is taking place. Let me tell you one story and I'll finish with this that I, uh, I tell my students all the time, I'm, I'm pretty open with them about my struggles and, and things that my shortcomings. And, and I tell them all the time that, that I am still in process, that I am, I'm still growing. I, I know that I'm your pastor, but I'm human and God is still shaping me and forming and I'm in process. There's only one perfect person and he died a long time ago, right? 
And so I am, I'm still growing. And, and, and if you know me or you've had um, conversations with me, uh, you know that I that kind of have a, a sense of humor uh, that can be labeled as sarcastic or, you know, like sarcastic. That's what I call it. But I, I have a hard time with my tongue. And my brain is, I'd, I'd like to say I'm a creative and I come up with creative things to say, but sometimes that leads me to, to, to do that at someone else's expense. And I'm, I'm really good at throwing insults. And, and man, this, this has followed me my entire life and, and, and I've struggled with taming my tongue. And, and sometimes this comes out whenever a student you know, tells me that they're, they're not gonna, they're not coming and, and this insecurity in me, this pride in me takes that personally. And so I would fire back something in a text message and I, I was destroying a ministry that God had placed me over. And so a few years ago, this got brought to light and the leadership came alongside me and, and said, here's some of the things like you are doing a great job, Wade, and we love you. And because we love you, we want you to grow in this. And they started pouring into me and coaching me. And, and, and it was a hard time. I'll tell you guys, the sinfulness in my own heart took that news and said, how dare you? Are you do you see the ministry? It's growing. Do you see the things that I'm doing? And I, and I became bitter at them for pointing out my flaws. And then God turned that bitterness or, and, and he led me to, to, to hardship and, and I was kind of depressed and, and, and I was like, God, why are, you, why are you doing this now? And then it got twisted and Satan started using it and said, you know what, you, they don't appreciate you there. Why don't you start looking for another church? They don't appreciate your gifts, so why don't you just go elsewhere? And so I started praying. I started seeking. Brooke and I were on our face every single day. This was a few years ago. And as I was praying, I was expecting some great revelation for God to to speak to me or say, here's the perfect church for you to go to. I have laid it on a platter. You should go to it. But he only spoke one word to me. In all my prayers, in all my searching of scriptures, he spoke one word. And I took a picture of it in my journal. That word was trust. I was like, what? Trust? And then he started unfolding that word. And he started saying, you know what, Wade, you need to trust me that I'm not finished with you yet that I want you to be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You should take joy in this because I am making you more and more like me because right now you're not really looking like me. The way you're talking to people, the way that you're you're, you're being sarcastic, you're not looking like me because I am a God who encourages. So trust me that I'm doing a great work in you. And guess what? Trust your leadership because they loved you enough to point out something that was hard. And that wasn't easy for them. So trust them that they have your best interest in mind because they want to see my bride loved and rejoiced over and they want to see my kingdom advance. Trust your leadership. 
And guess what? Trust where you are because I placed you in northwest Arkansas so you could be an ambassador for my message and my gospel. Would you trust me that I have you in the right place? So I stopped. I stopped everything. I stopped looking. I stopped feeling sorry for myself because God asked me to trust him because he was training me and he was transforming me. And now I'm giving testimony to what God has done. So the last question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Do I trust him? In the trial, in the tragedy, do I trust him? In the hard parts of my life that don't seem pleasant, do I trust him that he's making way for me to be sharing in his holiness? Do I trust him enough to give him credit? To say, God is not finished with me or you because he loves you. We can trust him. And some of you in here have never given your trust to Jesus. And so suffering looks a lot different for you. It's hard. And you, you have more questions than you have answers. Would you trust him today? Because at the a few verses later out of Romans 5 that we looked at, in verse 8 it says that God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to be clean. You don't have to be pure. You don't have to be doing more and more good things. God loves you right where you are. And he wants you to accept that love and trust him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word that reminds us of your goodness. That we will have trials, we will have troubles. But God, you're shaping us and you're molding us into your son's image, which is good and perfect and complete. God, for those who are in the midst of a struggle, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would be near to them as your word promises, that they would trust you to provide a way out. God, for those who are are feeling the sting of your discipline, are feeling the sting of your file, God, may they trust you in this time and start asking the right questions. God, for those who, who feel ashamed of the tragedy or the trial they've been through, may you allow them to have your boldness that they would rise up and share their story because they have no idea who of you have placed in their life that needs to hear that story so they can be reminded that you are a God who is alive and active in our lives and cares for us and will provide a way out. So God, we love you. And we thank you for this time. It's your name I pray. Amen. You guys may stand. We're going to sing.